one wrap-up and week two preview episode of the College Football News Podcast. As always, it's Nick Shepkowski and Pete Futek with you here on the College Football News Podcast and very excited to be joined here coming up with Rachel Barbeau from Sirius XM, College Football Playoff Insider. Going to get a lot of information on the SEC as they are part of two huge out-of-conference games this week. Pete, what's happening? Week one's a wrap. So they're still going to play SEC football. They haven't canceled the season after this disastrous week one, supposedly, for the conference. Yeah, that's kind of the narrative that's going around. And can we just limit that to the SEC East? Can we can we keep it or How about just that? the SEC bad teams? Like, okay, so Missouri had an off date. Tennessee's going to be fine. That was weird. Ole Miss is... How can you say it wasn't awful? It's a 2-10 Georgia State team that came in and owned Nayland Stadium. Yeah, it doesn't look good optics-wise, and it's never good when you lose to a Sunbelt team. And It's not what you want when you're Tennessee, but here's the thing. Tennessee's not going to win the national championship. They're not going to win the SEC championship. They're going to be good enough where they can still potentially go bowling. Uh, the one big problem I had was their offensive line got nothing for the ground game. They've got to be more physical up front. The defense gave up a couple bad plays. It was just a bad overall look, but... Take that along with the Missouri loss at Wyoming, which was also sort of weird. Ole Miss, which had zero offense, something crazy like 173 yards in offensive coordinator Rich Rodriguez's attack. Uh, Mississippi State didn't look good. Arkansas looked awful. It was just a bad look. But the big guys up top, Bama, Georgia, LSU, even go back to Florida, they got through fine. Uh, So the big guys are okay, but yeah, just a bad look. And for SEC bashers out there, it was a whole bunch of fun this last weekend. Yeah, it was a big week for SEC bashing until at least the final couple minutes of that Oregon-Auburn game. Can we just give like an air high five to each other over this off of everything tells you that Oregon should win that game. You watch that game, everything tells you Oregon should win that game, and then all of a sudden they find a way enough times to not put points on the board, leave Auburn hanging around, hanging around, hanging around, and not only do they lose, they fail to cover to the Ducks. Never in the history of sports has bad analysis been so dead on right when our analysis of Oregon's better, they're faster, they're more experienced, they've got the better quarterback, and they were all of that. They were the better team by a mile for about 58 minutes. They just couldn't put it away. And what was our analysis? Oregon's a lot better, but we're picking Auburn because eh, it's the SEC. It's just going to happen. And sure enough, Bo Nix, who was miserable for, again, 58 minutes, there were no open receivers, all of a sudden turns into Joe Montana, comes up with those big game, big plays, and not only comes up with the win, but uh, like you said, covers. All they need, It was a dumb play call, a dumb throw. All they needed to do is get the field goal and you win. And what do they do? They throw with the true freshman. Hey, for all of us who might have picked, uh, say, Northwestern to cover in that miraculous, weird, against-the-spread loss to Stanford, that was the make good. Yeah, it was a make good. Some of us were involved on both sides of that. There was good and <laughs> there was bad with that. So what do you actually take away from Pete from week one? of this you have no real upsets of any team of actual consequence i mean obviously the the tennessee thing's one thing i left i didn't think it was a choke job as much by florida state i know what the scoreboard said but watching that game their defensive line was getting its brains beat in from the first play of the game it just happened to see a team shoot itself in the foot in the first half that stopped shooting itself in the foot in the first in the second half as the game went on 
I actually took that as the Florida State team is half full. I, th- For the first half, that looked like Florida State again. They were flying around. They got the offense moving. James Blackman was terrific. Cam Akers was running well. Their de- they had some swagger back to their game. They were they were ripping it up. They, and it was, for half, it's like, wait a minute. Okay, there's your number two team in the SEC. Okay, they took a year off, and now they're back. And now the, the talking point is, well, they weren't hydrated correctly, which – to me, it kind of sounds right because they bonked. And so yes, what's the big takeaway from week one? We forget these games are so freaking long. They're like four hours. And when you don't have four preseason games like the NFL guys do, when you don't have as many practices and the training camp time as the NFL guys, they're not in game shape yet. So there are times with teams you can't maintain that intensity for a full four quarters. So if you're South Carolina, if you're Purdue, if you're Florida State, if you're Oregon, all of a sudden the team that's down and has to rally back, they find the emotion because they're in desperation mode. These teams can't necessarily hang on. He's Pete Futzek. I'm Nick Shupkowski. It's the College Football News Podcast here at each and every week as we recap what has happened. We look ahead of what's going to happen and a couple of huge games to look ahead to this weekend as they're both SEC involved. Texas A&M going on the road. Many believe this will be the toughest test all year for Clemson as they welcome the Aggies to Death Valley this Saturday. And then, oh, a couple of programs with that have accomplished a couple of things here in recent years. LSU, Texas, not bad for a Saturday night coming up this uh, this weekend. Yeah, the two games that matter. Everything it's it's not a great weekend overall of, of games, but those two at the top, those are as big as it gets. And uh, it's for the SEC. It's going to be the referendum. So if they lose those two games, Texas A&M could obviously lose to Clemson. LSU could certainly lose on the road to Texas. And then the talking point would be, oh well, look at the SEC. Still doesn't mean Alabama's bad. Still doesn't mean Georgia's bad. Still doesn't mean those two teams are bad. They're just playing on the road against two really good teams. And now we get into it a little bit because at the moment it's seems like there are, let's say, six teams that are true national title contenders, whether it's Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, LSU, Oklahoma, and Ohio State. If L- if Texas beats LSU, you can start to put them in that mix. And obviously, if Texas A&M beats Clemson, now we got to be st- talking about them a little bit as well. Texas A&M is a team that is interesting. They're one that you've been very high on this year. I still think it's a year early. You couple it with a brutal schedule, and yeah, it makes it for, makes it going a little bit. I'm gonna tougher. Use, can I use the phrase "on the come"? That's you can. I, it's I, I, one of those phrases. I'm always, phrase. I'm always uncomfortable whenever that. Of course you are. Yeah, but that's why it makes it so. It makes it so spicy. Cringe a little bit and makes me hmm, not feel good about myself. But yes, you are right. <laughs> they are a team that is on the come, as they say, as one Pete Futek especially says. I, I, I like the, obviously Texas. A. It's been my call all off season and. At the very least, it's the team. It's the type of team that should be able to hang with Clemson. You need to do this. You need to have a team with a veteran quarterback. Kellen Mond threw for what was it, 430 yards last year against the uh, against the Tigers. You need a coaching staff that knows what it's doing. And Jimbo Fisher certainly knows how to do that in Death Valley. He's won before when he was at Florida State. You need the athletes on both sides of the ball. That's not a problem. And the thing I really like about this particular Texas A&M team, as opposed to some of the other uh, SEC teams. 
out there that might have the NFL guys and athletes to deal with Clemson. They're huge. They're they've got they've got six foot four inch corners that are going to have to beat up T Higgins and that whole group. Uh, I think that defensive backs can hang with these guys a little bit. And the receiving core, it's a whole group of NBA small forwards. I mean, they've got these six three guys that uh, gave them a whole slew of issues last year. Uh, I just think that this is a good matchup, and and if not beat them outright, at the very least that's 17 and a half. I think they hang with it. And if they don't, let's say Clemson comes out and just you know wipes the map with them. Uh, and it's like a 52 to three or something crazy. Then it's like, okay, Clemson's really awesome. Let's, we got that. Let's just enjoy what we got going forward with them. He's Pete Futek. I'm Nick Shepkowski. Plenty to come here on the college football news podcast as you get it each and every week. Some games, the huge ones to preview. We've mentioned them briefly. Texas and LSU. That's one of them. Another one, obviously, being Clemson and Texas A&M. We'll get further into that. We'll get deeper into that. And Rachel Barbo from Sirius XM and the College Football Playoff Insider is going to join us as well to break all of it down. And before we're done today... Power five, lots of questions out there, lots of things to be and answered about some of your favorite squads that aren't maybe not getting the same national headlines as others. Pleasure to be welcomed on the College Football News Podcast by the founder of Changing the Narrative. Also, you hear her as a host on Sirius XM's College Station Channel 84. Rachel Barbo, kind enough to join us this afternoon on the College Football News Podcast. Good evening, Rachel. Thanks for the time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I guess a big week for the SEC, Texas A&M going on the road to take on the defending national champs. And, oh, I don't know, some people get excited when Texas welcomes LSU to town, supposedly, huh? Yeah, I mean, a huge, huge weekend um, of college football, that afternoon game, that evening game. I mean, it's just going to be absolutely fantastic. I'll be in Austin for the LSU-Texas matchup and and for this to be a non-conference game there's a ton riding on this a ton riding on this not only uh not only you know bragging rights but certainly both these teams have eyes on on the college football playoff in a postseason and and uh and this goes very very far i mean you know it's interesting too for me these two teams if if we're talking starting here with lsu and with texas just the ties that go back and forth lsu wanted herman Herman now, you know, having been at Texas a couple of years, really think you need to take that next step. The bowl game happened, uh, helped them do that last year. And now you got Sam Ellinger, and you got a lot of talk back and forth, just the, who's the real DBU, what's going on back and forth. And, you know, him saying last year Texas is back. And last I checked, I love locker room talk. I love bravado. I love all those things. But a lot of times when you say some, somebody's back, uh, it can come back to bite you. But there's been a lot of talk back and forth in this game. No love lost. Uh, I expect it to be a raucous crowd in Austin. Yeah, and that's one of the things I think Kirk Herbstreet mentioned it on his little preview show for the season of how much of a different atmosphere it's been the last two, three years with Texas. And in Austin, it used to be known as kind of a quiet, bigger stadium. And the last two two or three years, it's really come alive and really changed there. It should be an awesome atmosphere. Okay, so for your money then, you have to pick DBU. Yeah. You taking the Longhorns, you taking Texas, or you taking uh, LSU? Well, I mean, I think the real DBU in, in more recent history is LSU. Um, I think, you know, LSU certainly proved 
uh, who they were last year. I had a chance to visit with uh, with Coach Ozier and I asked him, you know, going back to last year, and this is how this plays into this year, but going back to last year, a lot of people, a lot of pundits said, hey, he's going to be fired. He's going to be the first one fired. This team is not going to live up, and they're going to – they're, you know, they're going to stink it up. And he did what so many great coaches do. Jimbo Fisher's really good at this, particularly uh, when he had Jameis Winston on his roster. But he circled the wagon. He said it's us against them, and nobody believes in you. And, and you know what? Um, and it was a little bit different situation with, with Jimbo. But but with LSU and, and Edo, they used that as fuel. And he told me, he said, yeah, I'd, I'd be lying to you if I told you that that didn't fuel me. Uh, from the inside, and that didn't give me a little extra ump and pet in my step, and I wanted to prove them wrong. And so you, you have that last year. You smashed expectations last year. And then this year for LSU fans, something crazy beautiful happened. You actually changed your offense. <laughs> Poor LSU fans have been hearing that for years now, that they're going to change their offense, particularly under Les Miles, and they never did. And it was always the same thing, and, and that – Stubbornness is part of what got him, uh, you know, shown the door. And so, um, you know, it's interesting to me what they've done. They've got Joe Brady, the offensive analyst from the New Orleans Saints. You had five uh, running backs in the first half, touched the ball. I saw an article that said they were trying to find good, bad, and ugly for LSU. And I understand it was a little bit lesser of opponent. but no Georgia State that went up and beat Tennessee but uh, you know the, the the bad was, hey, we don't know who our you know our second running back is. If that's your bad, there are a hundred teams in the country that would love to have your bad. Yeah, I, I would say so. It seems like the public is all over LSU in this one. The spread yeah. moving from two and a half all the way up to six and a half at some sites yep. right now. How do you kind of handicap this matchup? No, I think the 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 six is and and. I think the six is more realistic to me. I think this is going to be a a touchdown uh, game, I, you know, between these two teams. I just, you know, I don't see one of these teams getting away from each other. I do think this will be a really physical game. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious with Texas, um, with being down running backs, how much that, you know, puts even more of a load on Sam Ellinger's shoulder. I also think they only have three returning starters on the defensive side of the ball, um, and LSU is just kind of loaded for bear on both sides of the ball. So just athlete for athlete, I feel like um, LSU might win that battle, but I don't feel like this one, either team's going to run away with this one. I think it's going to be a hard-fought game. So you said six, six and a half. I've seen it bounce around there. That feels pretty accurate. Yeah, it's what I'm seeing at it, too. I was surprised when, it, oh, two and a half. Yeah, I'm all over LSU, all over LSU on that. And it's starting to get to that territory of, eh, it was all over LSU, but starting yeah. to feel quite <laughs> a bit steep. Uh, looking at this, ramifications from this game. LSU yeah. say that the bad does happen, say they do get upset on the road. Strange things mm-hmm. happen. The first road trip of the year for any college team, I don't care who you are, mm-hmm. it tends to happen. What is kind of best-case scenario for them the rest of the season if they do happen to fall Saturday night? Well, I think you you do what, um, you know, what you, as long as you don't get embarrassed, right? If you get embarrassed, that's, that's where you're in Tennessee territory that's when, and it was more of in South Carolina situation. It was more of a rivalry game, even though they haven't considered North Carolina to be a rival as of late because they've been so bad under Fedora. But you pick up the pieces and you say, okay, you know what? We we go home and we've got a lesser opponent going home, and then 
we've got Vanderbilt, we've got Utah State, and then our next big matchup uh, is Florida uh, on the 12th, on October 12th. And so you could lick your wounds a little bit if that's the case, if, if they don't win. So just if it, if it happens to LSU, what your, your hope is is that it's, a, you know, you lost a fingernail battle, you know, like meaning, meaning you fought tooth and nail and you just got beat by the hair of your chinny-chin-chin. That's what you hope. And then you sell it as, because it's always a spin thing in, in college football, you sell it as it wasn't a conference game. It was early in the season, and we were getting things, and we were getting kinks worked out. Um, but, again, they won a big non-conference game at the, the beginning of the season last year, and it propelled them uh, for the rest of their season. I really think it set them up for success because we know, and I say this all the time, Football is it the X's and O's? Absolutely, a thousand percent. Is it the Jimmys and the Joes? Absolutely, a thousand percent. But you know what else it is? It's the I, I call it kind of the other phase of the game. You got offense, defense, special teams, and head games. So much of football is psychological, and that goes for what's happening up in Knoxville right now. I know they had a players-only meeting, and they've had three guys, two this week. One had an injury and a wide receiver entered the transfer portal, I think three in the last month. Transfers happen, eh, not so great after a loss like that. But right now it's the psychology of the game. And you're going, okay, am I who they say I am? Am I who the scoreboard says I am? Are we that team? Are we going to come back and prove everybody wrong? We've seen teams come back from, from you know debilitating losses like this. And so – I, I use that example as Tennessee because it's a very relevant example. I live in Nashville, and people are saying to me, Tennessee fans, everywhere I'm going, are saying it's the worst loss in Tennessee football history. And that is a huge statement. Tennessee's been playing football for a really long time. So it's up to them right now where they go from here. And, and you mentioned there a little bit, so much of football, so much of college football specifically, yeah. sell, sell, sell. If you're not Alabama – if you're not Auburn after the comeback win on Saturday night, if you're yeah. not Georgia sitting as the number three team in the country right now, how do you kind of sell, sell, sell what the rest of the SEC did there in week one? You can't really. They stunk it up. You can't sell that. So what does it mean kind of, kind of big picture-wise then? Is it is it just a bad week? Is it just a rough start? Or is it telling of – I mean, the SEC at the top is clearly as good as anyone in the country. Mm-hmm. But is the middle a little bit more, I will say, ACC-like as we thought going into the year than maybe we expected just a week or two ago? I think it's a great question and a great point. You know, for me, it's not just Alabama anymore. It's LSU is on the rise. You know, last year, you know – there were people that got mad at, at Ed Ogeron for talking about after the Alabama loss, he needed better linemen, he needed to recruit better. And I, I remember getting an argument with my producer and him saying, you know, you know, he shouldn't go after his own players like that. Well, bull, if you don't want to live up to it, if you don't want to practice, if you don't want to get in the weight room, if you don't want to you know, read the playbook, if you don't want to do all those things to be what you need to be, then you need to exit the program. He needs to be able to get bigger, better, faster, stronger guys on the line because it's a line and scrimmage game. And, and, and so much so, the whole game is, but so much so in the SEC. So it's not just Alabama anymore. And guess what happened at Auburn? Gus Malzahn finally got the monkey off his back. You know, I've said about Auburn that this year could actually, Auburn could shock everybody because that's usually when they do well. When everybody is down on Auburn, they do well. Gus is his own offensive coordinator. He gets back to being the evil genius. And he knows his back's against the wall. If he doesn't get it done, he's out. And he's got a big, fat, million-dollar balloon. 
but he doesn't want to go out like that. So it's him, and it's on him. Then he's got Kevin Steele on the other side of the the ball and one of the best defensive fronts in the country, right? And they go and beat Oregon. Some of that had to do with Mario Cristobal and bad clock management, not knowing rules and those things. But you got to give it to them. So you got those teams. But I can't say anything good about South Carolina right now. I can't say anything good about Vanderbilt. It looked like a Georgia crowd. In it, like it looked like a Georgia home game. And and I, I can't really say. Any, I sure as heck can't say anything good about Ole Miss. My word! And Memphis is supposed <laughs> to actually be good this season, but they 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 looked horrific. They looked absolutely absolutely horrific. And the Raging Cajuns gave Mississippi State a run for their money. Uh, and don't even get me started on Miami and Florida in week zero that looked like, you know, beginning of camp a couple of months ago. At points of that game, it was unwatchable. It was so sloppy. It really was. And I don't think that if it was played in week one instead of the week zero, that you would, you would have seen much of a difference whatsoever. It's Rachel Barbo, founder of Changing the Narrative, Sirius XM, College Station number 84, where you can catch her program as well all the time, talking some SEC football with us. Any other week could be probably the game of the week. You have the defending national champions hosting the number 11 team in the country in Texas A&M, Clemson and A&M in this one. Huge favorite is Clemson. I mean, heck. They blew Alabama out in the championship last year until further notice. That's what all their spreads are going to look like. Does Texas A&M, is it too early for them to kind of go on the road and pull this big-time upset, or is this one that they might have a real fighter's chance, more than just a fighter's chance in? Well, I think, listen, I, I love an underdog, and um, and and I think, it's, I think it's fantastic. A little-known fact, kind of crazy. We're talking about Herman and the connection at a the mid-LSU. Did you know Jimbo Fisher played baseball at Clemson? I did not. Crazy. I did not know that either. I just learned that this week. And so, but, you know, here's the thing with the Clemson and Texas A&M game. Clemson, from that defensive front last year that was freaking so deep, ridiculous, right? Britt Venable is one of the best defensive coordinators in the country, not named Don Brown, not at Virginia Tech. Um, You know, they – I think they returned like two starters. That's it. Now, listen, Clemson recruits a certain type of player. They recruit character. They recruit good dudes. They recruit very, very, very well. That's why their coaches have stayed there forever. So do I think that they're going to have horses to step up and do that? But I wonder if the matchup is can Kellen get comfortable? Can Kellen improvise? Can Kellen will he have time to move around in the pocket against that defensive front, or will they get penetration for me that's the question. So they may not have as much uh, up front, but they are pretty talented with their safeties and their corners. And, again, it's not like Clemson's going to fall off uh, the map by any means. And then for Jimbo Fish and the Texas A&M side, I heard, I heard Paul Feinbaum the other day say that he thought that Jimbo Fisher was a better coach than Dabo Sweeney. Gotcha. Now, listen, <laughs> I've known them both uh, and have covered them both, but – I don't think you – I know he's a quarterback whisperer. Jimbo Fisher is. And I know he's a very good, very good coach. But Dabo Sweeney just won two out of the last three national championships. Come on, Paul Feinbaum. Come on. I know. We we had Paul on right before the season, and he was great, very generous with his time. But it's more than once a fall that I just left and left with my head. Just what did he just say? say. Come on, Feinbaum. If that – 
if that was the case, then why was Jimbo Fisher not in two of the last three national championships? Why I, did he not mop the if floor? If the guy's last name isn't Saban, then Dabo is as good as anyone in the country, better than anyone Absolutely. in the country. In fact, especially with uh, Urban Meyer now currently out of the game. Uh, hey, where did the Tennessee Volunteers go from here? Because yeah. that was, I mean, laughable. It was embarrassing. It was a half-empty stadium. I mean, probably about 80% empty by the time that thing yeah. actually went final. How do they write this, or do they write this? Well, like I said earlier, I did. My understanding is they had a players-only meeting. Uh, my understanding is a guy like Jawan Jennings is like, listen, i got to be 24-7. i got to be in their ear. I wasn't the sports club on the, on the sidelines. Um you know, as I mentioned, there's a couple of players that entered the transfer portal. I don't know how much Cheney, the acquisition of Cheney from Georgia, they fought hard, paid a lot of money. He better start coming up with some creativity, man. But what what it wasn't so much the game plan, and, and that's part of it. But the thing that was alarming to me it, it was the guys out of position were busted plays, were, was, a, was the body language. Um, those types of things. And so this is on the coaches. This is on the players. This is on all of them. And if Kurt can't write the ship, man, there are a lot of Tennessee fans that have already, that have already, you know, left the nest when it comes to supporting him because of what happened going into this season and how many people they had to go through and the disaster of the coaching search with, with Curry and Shiano and Leach and all of those things. I like Jeremy Pruitt. I like these players. As a matter of fact, and the other thing I do when I'm not a broadcaster in changing the narrative, they're one of my changing the narrative teams. And I just sent a text to, to Coach Pruitt and said, hey, listen, if there's anything I can do for you guys, let me know. Like, you know, do you mean come speak? Whatever it is. Like, I, in this work that I do now, working with these athletes, I'm more, I'm more cognizant of what is going on inside the helmet, what's going on in their lives, what, how this affects them. They hear this. They hear all the talk on social media. They hear all the talk in, in the media. Now it's up to them and the coaches to decide whether or not this is the definition of your season and you're going to go, you're going to stay here or go further down if that's even possible, or whether you're going to let this use, you're going to use this for something bigger and better, right? And you're going to let it propel you to something greater. That's their decision. And I think this game against BYU, it's not even so much for me against BYU whether they get beat. I want to see body language. I want to see. I want to see just absolute. You showed up for the game. I want to see energy on the sidelines. I want to see coaches coaching with fire because, you know, some of the other things that people had an issue with was just how somber. It wasn't even somber. It was just kind of calm. Gary Pruitt it was afterwards. You know, one of the things that people like if things don't go right, right, is they like some some fire underneath there. You know what and. But he can also be fairly fiery. So to me, this week, it's not just the scoreboard. I'm looking at assignments. I'm looking at coming in and out, not jogging. I'm looking at, is it going to be, you know, hat on the hat? I'm looking at, you know, how fast are you loafing to the ball? Are you getting to the ball? You know, how are you, how crispy are you running your routes? I'm looking at all those things because it's an indicator of me whether or not he's lost this team. Rachel, this was awesome stuff. Appreciate you taking the time. We will be sure to do it again soon. I don't know if there's a more entertaining person SEC-wise to to be following and be listening to throughout the college football season. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Very kind words. I will uh, tell Paul Feinbaum you said that. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, thank you so much for having me on.
Good fun stuff there with Rachel Barbeau from Sirius XM College Station, Channel 84 on your Sirius XM. It's Nick Shepkowski, Pete Futek with you, the College Football News Podcast. Still to come, our Power Five, some of the stories that maybe aren't getting the national headlines or games that are getting the national headlines and features that we think deserve some discussion about. That's still to come with you, but we have a week two to preview kind of in its own thing, and you base some of that off of week one impressions. I don't know if there's a team that left a bigger impression in a good way that's coming in with huge expectations but huge questions as what Oklahoma was able to do against a Houston team that, yeah, say what you want about Houston, I I thought they were going to be able to move the ball a little bit better than they did early on, and my goodness, might as well just make it official, Jalen Hurts is going to be your number one pick and Heisman winner, huh? Yeah, it's over. He's the uh, number one overall pick next year. It's, not, it's no more tank for Tua time. It's Jalen Hurts. I'm of two minds of this. On the one mind, uh, it's Houston. Like you said, it's a group of five program. No matter how you want to dress it up, it's still a group of fiver. Dana Holgerson might be a Big 12 head coach. Derek King is talent. They've got Big 12 offensive talent. Uh, and they kept pressing. But on the other side of it, that is a great offensive team that Oklahoma at least didn't get destroyed by defensively. So as long as the Oklahoma defense isn't the worst in college football, that's okay. And then the other side, Jalen Hurts was perfect. That's exactly what you want to see out of him. Uh, and the whole thing at the very end about, oh, I'm not happy, we were sloppy, and you know the no fun sir interview type of thing that he uh, uh, did with Holly Rowe at the very end, I'm okay with that. Anybody else that comes across is phony, but for that team, it, you get a guy who was a pick play away from being the starting quarterback from or a two-time national champion. If he's saying that, no, this isn't good enough, okay, I, I'll, I'll go with the whole Nick Saban process thing with Oklahoma. Maybe that's what it takes to get that program over the hump. Yeah, who do you leave more impressed with? With him in week one, obviously the numbers speak for themselves. Or like Justin Fields at Ohio State. You you turn your head in that game. I didn't have Ohio State on to start the day. I was focused more on Florida State and Boise State and watching the start of that. And it's like by the time I flip over, I'm like, oh, yep, that seems like the Buckeye program of old. Seems like they're not missing a beat whatsoever. Yeah, let's see what they can do going forward. Uh, obviously, it was an amazing first six minutes. That's what. That's it for all the. You know, I, the funny part about Ohio State people being Ohio State people is like, oh well, they couldn't keep up the intensity, and oh, they got they scored some points on us, and we didn't put seventy five up. It's like whatever. This thing was twenty eight nothing right out of the gate. Let's see what Justin Fields has to do when he has to actually try in a game that matters. Uh, but for now, that's everything you wanted to see. All most of the questions. Question marks, at least for this week, are totally gone. Let's just see what they can do going forward. But that is a team that's got a whole lot of talent, a whole lot of explosion. Yeah, it definitely has that. But I, I am fascinated with their game this week. I'm not saying Cincinnati pulls the upset, but that Cincinnati team, I was not surprised whatsoever how easily they seemingly took care of that UCLA offense. I don't think it's good news of what happens to the Cincinnati Bearcats this week at the Horseshoe, but I think it's one of those of, all right, you see it. You've seen some of these non-Power 5 teams when they go to either the BCS games here in recent, like thinking Northern Illinois when they went to the Orange Bowl. They had a loss against an Iowa team that's nowhere near as good, good as Ohio State is this year. Like Cincinnati, I see this team as even if there is a hiccup this week, I like this team a ton, and I, I I had a gun to my head right now, and I'm picking my non-Power 5 team to be playing in a New Year's Six Bowl. I have trouble finding a better case other than maybe Boise State that it's going to be Cincinnati. Yeah, UCF's pretty good. Uh, 
either Cincinnati's pretty good or UCLA is just god awful. That UCLA offense was just miserable. They couldn't do anything. They lose Joshua Kelly. He gets hurt. Theo Howard's hurt. They got some banged up parts, but still doesn't excuse how bad uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson was. And just they could not get anything moving. Cincinnati's a good sound team, but they don't have the pop and explosion. At the end of the day, it's it, I get what you're saying, but if you're Ohio State, look, Cincinnati's a group of five program. I know I'm an, I'm an elitist when it comes to this. Just take sure, them out. You're a 99 percenter. We know that about you by this point. I know. I am absolutely a believer in it. Just take them out. It's Cincinnati. Go out there, Ohio State. Again, you're one of these teams that you're one of the six teams out there that's really a college football playoff national championship contender. Go act like it. Just go out there and do it again. Go up 28 nothing within six minutes and be all Ohio State on them. All right, explain this one to me because in terms of betting, in terms of Vegas and the way they look at things, Syracuse started the weekend or however you want to go in, however you want to describe it. They went from being a favorite at Maryland to now being it's shifted all the way and has them sitting as a, depending where you look, it's as much as a two-point underdog after starting as a two-point favorite in this game. Why is all the money coming on in on Maryland? Why do people have that much confidence in Maryland when you see a Syracuse team a year ago that had one of the more potent offenses in the entire country? That all flipped fast, and it wasn't because of an injury. It wasn't coming. Usually, when you see something that goes all the way the other side to the other team, something weird has happened. Nothing happened here. I, America just spoke, and they said, "Okay, here's a we're going to market correct this thing in a in a hurry." I think Maryland wins. I mean, Syracuse has got a, an amazing pass rush. They've got a killer defensive front. I don't think the world believes in Tommy DeVito. Uh, he was not accurate. He was not sharp. Maybe he was a little spooked by uh, the, the specter of Hugh Freeze sitting up there in his bed looking right. over things. All-time gif on the internet of, oh, of Dino man. raising the thumb and waving. And, if you're going to oh do that, God. if you're going to be that coach and you're going to overlook your program and you're going to be that inspirational figure that I'm coaching through this, at least your team's got to score a point. You don't Don't get shut out. Don't don't get don't get be twenty four nothing at home. Do do something more than that. But uh, I think Maryland's just that good. Josh Jackson, the former Virginia Tech Hokie quarterback, was great in the opener. I know it was against Howard, but whatever. Uh, I I kind of just think at home that I like Maryland in this. Okay, I, I'm curious on it because I can't sit here and say that I've t- watched a ton of Maryland and I'm able to d- dissect that game. It's just it seems like that much money coming in. Like, what the heck does the public know, or what's known? Tommy DeVito again. It's it's a referendum on the Syracuse quarterback that's saying that we don't believe that this guy can come through quite yet. And if you don't believe that in a pretty dead even game, you go with the home team. All right, question for you here, big picture wise, for a big time program. They sneak one out against Fresno State, but JT Barrett goes down with a torn ACL, done for the JT year. Daniels. JT, J- J- JT Barrett might have oh gone down too. God, yeah, JT Barrett yeah. did go down, but that was long ago. JT Daniels <laughs> goes down for USC, out for the year. They sneak by Fresno State. Tell me this. USC plays at Notre Dame on October 12th. Between now and then, they host Stanford. They're easy games in Provo, Utah, which is just a pain in the rear end to play at. They host Utah. They go to Washington. With those five games ahead of them, are we looking at a USC team that doesn't have Clay Helton as a head coach when they take on the Fighting Irish in mid-October? Or they're there and they just sort of limped their way in, not looking impressive. They don't have Stanford doesn't have KJ Costello this week, so they mm-hmm. get to, so USC's missing the starting quarterback. 
BYU is not that good. I mean, USC should be able to pull that one off. Uh, Utah, I don't think, it, I think the stat is Utah's never won in Los Angeles. Uh, you're, so you're bucking history if uh, the Utes can come here and do that. Yeah, and I do saw that. enough from that defensive line on opening night. I, USC is, things are not going to look pretty in that game for the USC. Yeah, team. again, I, I never, I'm one who believes in college football streaks. I, I know it doesn't, what happened 30 years ago doesn't matter now, but I never mess with those. And then Washington's Washington. So if they can get through all this with one loss, Clay Helton's okay, but that just didn't look right. If you saw the game, they just they don't have it yet. It just does not look like a USC team. To, to give credit, Fresno State's still good. This is a program that's been fantastic under Jeff Ted for the last couple of years. Won the Mountain West uh, last season. They know how to win big games. Good defense. They just made a slew of key mistakes, and they and USC got out and got the win. Let's see what happens. This week, let's see if USC, USC does against a Stanford team that that game against Northwestern was about as brutal a game in every every way you want to say it. To watch it was brutal. It was brutal hitting. It was as physical and violent a game as you could see. Let's see how USC can handle that kind of. I'm going to say this word and sound like Jesse Palmer physicality. Uh, and then let's see what Fresno State does against Minnesota. Because if Fresno State wipes up the Gophers, then all of a sudden maybe that USC win looks a little better. But first, USC's got to beat the Cardinal. He's Pete Futzak. I'm Nick Shepkowski. Coming up next, we are going to do one of our favorite segments, Power Five. What are the five things or five games that are being discussed by us that aren't getting enough love nationally? We do that next on the College Football News Podcast. <laughs> Time now for our weekly final segment. It is the Power Five. Nick Shepkowski, Pete Futek, the College Football News Podcast. It's five of your storylines, five of your games, whatever it may be. Five things that we're discussing that aren't getting enough love nationally. Pete, you're a big SEC guy. Always waving the flag. Always waving the banners of the SEC. I don't want to. I know, I but the, I you wish do. other conferences were better. I don't hey, like the SEC. They're just so, good. So let's just talk about the part of the SEC then that's, well, let's, how do you put this guy? Not good. Not good. Arkansas, Ole Miss. Is this a battle Oof. for teams that are, this is the only chance that a win for both of them in conference this year? You want to talk about my ultimate week one surprise shocker? That 15-10, whatever that was, Memphis versus Ole Miss, that that should have been a 95-92 game. That's, that's what we, I, yes, the scoring, like Memphis included. Yeah, I missed a couple games this week when it came to over it, but I didn't miss by much on anything too massive. That's by far what that's, that might be my biggest over under whiff I've probably I can ever remember because I I just assumed that was gonna be a shootout of shootouts because neither team has a defense, and that was just awful. And the Rich Rodriguez offense, the new offensive coordinator at Ole Miss just went nowhere. They had no running game whatsoever. Everything was getting stuffed. They couldn't keep Memphis out of the backfield. And then look at Arkansas struggle against Portland State. Chad Morris, if nothing else, that's supposed to be a fun, bad team. And they just had no offensive pop whatsoever. So this is just going to be a war of attrition. Whichever team loses this game, it, it's not hot seat time for either one of these guys, except maybe, actually maybe Matt Luke if uh, Ole Miss loses. But it's just going to be a rough season for the loser of this game. Yeah, uh, I have it going to Mississippi simply because it's at home, but it's one yeah. that is going to be ugly as they hell. They should win. 
They should win this game easily, but gosh, after that last game, yeah. I know, but I, I didn't watch March uh, Arkansas and Portland State. Saw a couple highlights on the SEC Network. That uh, explain explain yourself when you're struggling new against starters Portland on State. Offense. What's the matter with you? Eleven new starters on offense. Get cut a little bit of slack, but no, they need to find. You're something playing fast. Portland State. There's no slack to be cut. What you got to bring when you bring play the Vikings? Yes, you don't just you don't just wake up and beat that team. We know Clemson's the best team in the ACC. We've established that. Uh, we're not going out on a limb there. Who's number two in that conference? I for the for a half last week I was going to say Florida State, and then they got all thirsty, and that ended that. Nobody watched Virginia, and you can tell that because the pollsters. The two main polls just criminally underranked them. They putting Iowa State or Nebraska ahead of Virginia, who went in pit, went into pit, and just dominated the defending Coastal Conference champ. That was a great performance by a team that's got probably the second best quarterback in the conference in Bryce Perkins. They're they're just a rock solid team, and right now, until Miami or again even FSU can prove it otherwise, I think Virginia is that number two team in the conference. How close is Boston College? As they put, I mean, they, they had a stranglehold on that game most of the time against Virginia Tech. Maybe the scoreboard at the end is only a touchdown game, but it felt like they were in control from the get-go on that one. How close is BC, or is that just a, a week one, look good on your home field yeah, type you, thing? Yeah, you're going to get that all week, all year long with the ACC, because now that North Carolina came over the win and Louisville looked okay against Notre Dame, there's no free space. You don't have a Kansas. You don't have an, uh, a Rutgers or an Oregon State. It's that conference from two to fourteen. You could any week one of those teams are going to who gets the another one of these teams at home. You know Duke can win any of these games. Wake Forest can win any of these games. You know that's not even getting into the NC States of the world and uh, just uh, down down the line this ACC is just good enough where every week you're going to see games like that where okay Boston College was at home and they beat Virginia Tech flip that around if it was in Blacksburg Vic, uh, Virginia Tech probably wins that game but for BC you know what you're going to get they're going to be seven and five ish maybe win eight games with the bowl game and they'll be just rock solid again okay we're going to preview here or at least discuss in the in the moments to come what used to be can't miss television during the 90s or at least the first part of the 90s we'll get to that game in just a minute but I ask you first what did we learn more last Friday night that Wisconsin's great or that Charlie Strong is not long for a employment in South Florida. That was supposed to be the "Hey, look at us" game, where South Florida they have a new offensive coordinator in Kerwin Bell, a little more high octane offense. They were this was their showcase moment at home, and Wisconsin came out and came up with one of their first shutouts. I want to say it was like in five years. I might have that wrong, but it's been a while. That was the 2017 Badger team getting its mojo back. I, I don't know what happened to them last year, but the team that showed up there did not arrive last season. But that that defense was killing everything. Jonathan Taylor starting to catch the ball a little bit. The offensive line only has one starter back, but it had a few problems keeping USF out of the backfield, but it was destroying uh, that both defensive front most of the game. And the key to this year... Wisconsin's got its best receiving core that I can ever remember. There's this is a complete team, and it's the talking point going into the season was it is absolutely the best team in the Big Ten West, but the schedule might not let that happen. I know. I was just going to ask you on that because when you look at it, it's I don't know who they ticked off. I don't know who Barry Alvarez made mad in the Big Ten offices, but every damn hard team that you could possibly play cross division wise, they get Michigan. They have to go to Ohio State. Like it's not an easy schedule whatsoever. So is that 
Is that enough of a reason to look at it and say that it's not a team that's going to end up winning its division and be playing in Indianapolis come come first weekend in December? Well, you have to assume that they're going to have to then run the table in the West and then at least win a couple. I know of it's hard and it's, it's too early to play the game, but I mean, from what you've seen, where's the loss? Minnesota wasn't impressive. At Nebraska, they weren't impressive. I, Illinois, Iowa, Purdue, yeah, yeah, no, it's they're the best team in the West. Uh, but again, it, they've got they're going to have to beat one of these teams from the East and and do okay, good. But at least for one week. That's exactly how Wisconsin should look if it is its old dominant self. And it certainly looked exactly like it looked when it was crushing and killing everything two years ago. Trevor Etienne had a great uh, week one performance, as did Jalen Hurts. Travis we talked Etienne. About him Travis Etienne. Tra- I always get Trevor. You get Trevor, Trevor happy when you talk Trevor clubs. Trevor and Lawrence, Travis yeah, Etienne. Yeah, it's it's a, a T word. It's a teen name. <laughs> he had a great week one as did uh, Jalen Hurts, but Jonathan Taylor, most impressive to me, at least for week one, on individual performance. Another Big Ten team that was, hey, they turned some heads this past weekend. The Illinois Fighting Illini, sticking Akron's face in the mud and kicking them while they were down. Now take on Connecticut, Eastern Michigan. Is this an Illini team that we have to start talking bowl I've eligibility? I've telling you they're going bowling. They're going. They they got those three. They get Rutgers, and I think they have one other layup game too. So they they got four wins. Let's just start there. They're going to have an upset or two somewhere along the way. I've said they're going to get to six wins. What I like about this is I know you've got Isaiah Williams, the superstar freshman, get, but Brandon Peters, the transfer from Michigan, seems like he's just that veteran presence that might be good enough on all these young guys who can make the offense go. That defensive front was great at getting in the backfield. Uh, this team looks all right, but again, it's Akron. Right, but it's also an Akron team that walked into Ryan Field last year and beat Northwestern. But Northwestern's weird. We've established I, yes, North, I Northwestern know, can lose still, to anybody. Still, like I, I was not expecting the thrashing that the Illini put down. I, I They easily beat Rutgers. That West, I still don't know enough about the rest of the Big Ten West to feel safe in saying the Illini are a bowl team. I do feel safe in saying they for sure get the five wins. I feel better about that than I did preseason-wise after seeing that. But I can they get to the six? I, They're going to beat Northwestern at the last game of the regular season and get it done. Think so? That's you my, heard it here first, if so. That's my call, yes. Okay, finally. This used to be when I was like third grade, fourth grade. This was an say, event. How old were you in the nineties? That's this was like an event. I remember being in third grade and fourth grade when these two teams would meet up in ninety three ish, ninety four ish in the old Big Eight. I'm talking about Nebraska and Colorado. God. Not quite the same matchup this week as the Huskers and Buffaloes do battle. Man, I'm old. That's, yes, you are. That, that's old school, you know, CFN stuff when when they were really rocking and rolling. But oh. yeah, the. It's a big moment for both programs because Nebraska is supposed to be one of those top teams in the West, and it certainly didn't look like that against South Alabama. That was a strange performance. All of a sudden, Adrian Martinez looked tentative. The offense just kind of looked. I mean, they were seeing it during the game that that was the quietest crowd that, that, that those announcers had ever heard. It, like nothing was happening. They were just sort of playing football, and they just nothing was going on. And Nebraska just won, and everyone went home. It, it was just a strange overall performance by a Husker team, and it's supposed to be exciting. This is Scott Frost here, but they won. So just start with that. Remember last year, they invented ways to lose. They at least got the win. 
I like this Colorado team. I, they, last year, they were pretty good. LaVisca Chanel got hurt. They had a bunch of other injuries, and just the season all of a sudden kind of slipped away from them. Uh, they're healthy now. Steven Montez is a strong quarterback. I like Mel Tucker there as a head coach. I, I think Colorado wins this thing. That's not good news for Nebraska because they weren't impressive a week ago. They were the darlings of the offseason in the Big Ten West. Of Oh, you saw how they played the last month of the year, and they're right about it from last year. But it looked like a team that still has a lot of growing to do, at least in week one against South Alabama. I tend to take the points with Colorado in that one as well. He's Pete Butek. I'm Nick Shepkowski. A fun episode of the College Football News Podcast, as it really always is, if we're being honest. Make sure to review us, to rate us on iTunes. Check us out. Share us with friends as well. Thank you again to Rachel Barbo for joining us from XM College Station Channel 84 on your XM device. Talking some SEC with us, some good information there. Pete Tech, I'm Nick Shepkowski. Check us out again next week on the College Football News Podcast.